0: Today we talk about artificial inseminations, also called IUIs. I'm Dr. Mark Amels, and this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday. IUIs. Intrauterine inseminations. I'm sure almost everybody has heard about IUIs. If you haven't, this is your classic turkey baster technique where you're taking sperm and injecting it into the uterus. Recently, I have been having patients who want to skip artificial inseminations and go straight to IVF. And mainly the reason has been because they said IUIs don't have as good of a chance. And although that's true, compared to IVF, they are much lower. It's important to understand the reason we do IUIs and why we don't jump straight to IVF because IUIs do work. The question isn't really, should you do IUIs, but is it the right treatment for you? There are situations where IUIs would not be used. Matter of fact, wouldn't even be recommended. And yet I see some people do them. Sometimes I see people doing IUIs for six, seven, eight, nine times. Today we're going to delve into what IUIs can do, what they can't do, who should do them, how many times you should do them, and when you should move on to something else, such as IVF. So to start, let's talk about who IUIs should be used for. Now the classic Patient, it's going to be someone with sperm issues, and this doesn't mean the sperm has to be low count. It could be an issue where their count is low, but it can also be an issue where there's a low concentration. What I mean by that is the total amount of sperm you may have is good, but because of maybe the volume of the prostatic and seminal vesicle fluid that mixes with the sperm, that can dilute it and dilute it so much that the sperm touching the cervix actually has lower count because it's so diluted and it makes make it hard to get pregnant. So in that situation with an IUI, you can take that sperm, all of the numbers, and clean it, inject that in the uterus. Because naturally when you get pregnant, sperm is placed in the vagina, most of the sperm dies, only the sperm touching the cervix gets in. So if you have low concentration, it can create an issue. Same thing with low motility. Motility has to do with how many sperm are alive. So when you hear someone that has 20% motility, what that really means is, is 80% of the sperm is dead. And imagine the analogy I usually give is, if you're in a burning building and there's 100 people and there's one door and you have to get out and 80% of the people say they're not going to move. It's going to be a lot harder to get out of that building than if everyone worked together. And so sperm are not that smart. Matter of fact, they have no brains. They just kind of swim and hit things, and it's just kind of chance if they get to the right place. So now if you have 80% of the sperm dead in front of them, you can see how that can cause a blockade, and that can lead to problems. So again, with IUIs, we can take that sperm, we can wash it to remove the dead sperm, and then that sperm that's left over can be injected into the uterus the same thing is uh, there's a part called progressive motility so progressive motility is how the ser- um, sperm swim so for example you might have a hundred percent motility meaning they're all alive but maybe they swim in circles maybe they don't go straight so if the progressive motility is poor then even though the sperm is all moving it may be good is not going to get to where it needs to. And so again, an IUI allows us to clean the sperm and get it ready. And that's going to be your classic IUI reason, male factor. But there are other reasons too people might do IUIs. Another one would be if someone's using donor sperm. So if you are in a same-sex relationship, or if you have a husband whose sperm is asospermic, meaning they have no sperm. You could use donor sperm. Even single women who want to get pregnant can use donor sperm. Now, in that situation, now we are just taking the sperm, thawing it, and injecting it into the uterus. We're not doing it for a fertility issue with the sperm, but because we don't have a sperm source that can just be placed vaginally. Other less common causes of using IUIs are there are some couples who can't have intercourse for various reasons. And so for them, we could do IUIs. Sometimes when people don't ovulate, the amount of medication it takes to help them ovulate is so expensive, it's sometimes worth just adding the IUI to increase their chances. The last situation that we use IUI is the one that's not really straightforward in its usefulness. And that is unexplained infertility. Now, to understand what unexplained infertility is, it means when you do the testing, such as checking the hysterosalpingogram, looking at the tubes, histogram, looking at the uterus, sperm analysis, looking normal, if everything comes back normal, then we call that unexplained infertility. Now, that does not mean there's not a problem. Of course there's a problem, right? Nobody's that bad at having intercourse that they can go... Over a year or two and not get pregnant, if it's just an issue in timing, it means something's wrong. But unexplained is taken into account the fact that testing isn't perfect. I bring this up all the time that just because sperm might fit a certain parameter doesn't mean it works. So functionality and associations are not the same. And so in unexplained infertility, the thought process is, is that IUIs are a good treatment because it's going to overcome some minor things, such as if there is an environmental issue where the vaginal environment is attacking the sperm, such as sperm antibodies or a hostile environment. Now, this doesn't mean that your vaginal environment is hunting down and murdering all the sperm, but in reality, it may be creating an environment that's not as conducive. And so now maybe sperm are sticking together, or maybe more sperm is dying or fewer are getting in. The other situation that comes up in unexplained infertility is it comes back to this principle that a semen analysis is not a test of functionality, but a test of associations. For example, if you sit there and say, you know, if you look at most guys who are six foot two and dress nice and wear a tie, they're usually going to be normal, good husbands, let's say. But that doesn't mean someone who wears a tie and who's six foot two and looks nice is in a serial killer, right? If anyone's seen the, the show Dexter, I always point out that, you know, he's a serial killer. Good one, obviously, compared to most serial killers, but a serial killer. So when sperm looks good, we're just saying that the parameters look good. But that doesn't mean the sperm can still not have problems. The semen analysis is like a bell-shaped curve. Some people who are inside the normal may actually have poor functioning sperm. It's just associated when they have normal sperm parameters that there may not be an issue. And so what IUI's do is they are able to take that sperm, wash it and clean it and get it ready so it's better quality and improving your chances of getting pregnant. So that brings up the next question which is what are we doing? The process of sperm. Are we actually just injecting the raw sperm in, or are we doing something to it? Which is kind of funny because one time I had a patient. I went in the room. I remember to this day my heart was pounding because I walked in. I told them the numbers. I was getting ready to do the IUI, and she turned to me and said, "That's not my husband's sperm." And my heart was pounding. I thought, "Oh my God, did we just give her the wrong sperm?" And I looked at it, and the name was right, the date of birth was right, everything was right. And I looked at her and said, I'm so sorry, is this not your husband's name? And she said, oh, no, that's his name. But I've seen his sperm, it doesn't look like that. (laughs) And that was funny, because she didn't realize that we process the sperm, that almost all of the sperm that's ejaculated can fit on the tip of a pen. So everything else you see is vesicle fluid, prostatic fluid. And if we put that in the uterus, it would cause lots of cramping. So what we do is we remove that fluid and we get that pellet of sperm by putting it through certain things called a wash, or you can have what's called a gradient. You can even use what are called Zymot chips. But basically, you remove the bad sperm and then you suspend that in a medium that would be safe and comfortable to put into the uterus. Now, the next question is, well, when do you do the insemination? Do you just pick a time? Well, there's several ways you can do it. It depends on whether you're monitoring with ultrasounds and taking a trigger shot to make you ovulate, or whether you're just waiting for your natural ovulation. Now, if you're doing natural ovulation, then you're doing what are called ovulation kits. Now, what those do is they predict when you're going to ovulate. And so when they become positive, you would want to do the IUI within 24 hours. Now, with monitoring and taking a trigger shot, trigger shots will usually make you ovulate within 36 hours. And so traditionally, we will do the IUI at either 24 or 36 hours to make sure the sperm is there prior to ovulation. The concern isn't early. The concern is late. If you miss ovulation, the egg is only good for 24 hours after it ovulates, So you want the sperm there prior to ovulation, not after. I find this is even more important anytime you're using donor sperm. Because if someone is not having intercourse, and the only time their uterus is ever going to have sperm is with insemination, then it's even more important that you don't miss the window. And so I would always rather be early than late. Now, one thing that comes up every once in a while is, should I do two IUIs? You'll hear like a double IUI, where you do one at um, 12 hours and then again at 24 hours. So that way you're at 12 and 36 hours. And what I can tell you is there really is not any data on there that proves that that improves your chances. I've done it myself and I've had people have success. But usually the only time I do that is if I'm concerned someone has ovulated early Then what I'll do is I'll do the IUI 12 hours later and then do it again at the 36-hour mark. That way, in case they did ovulate early and I missed it, I know I at least have sperm there early and then again later. But as a general rule, I don't recommend double IUIs. So in the beginning, I talked about how IUIs aren't as successful as IVF. And so what I mean is, is that each cycle of an IUI doesn't have a very high chance. So IVF has pregnancy rates as high as of the 70, 80% sometimes, but IUIs at best will be about 22%. Most are between like 10 and 12. You're just using something simple like Clomid, Femar, just trying on your own with ovulation. And then with other medications, you can get around 15 to 22%. But in the end, if you think about that, it's almost an 80% chance it won't work. So you have almost a better chance of it not working than working on, the, on that cycle. But that's not where the power of IUIs come in. The power of IUIs comes from the fact that you can do multiple of them because they're usually more affordable, so you can do more of them. And so if, let's say, an IUI is a 20% chance, then if you had 100 people, and 20 percent of people got pregnant, you had 80 people left. If you did a second IUI, then 20 percent of people would get pregnant, 20 percent of 80 would be 16 people, and now you're down to 64 people left. And if you did one more IUI, a third one, 20 percent of 64, is going to be about 13, and now you're down to 51 people left, which means after just three IUIs, about 50 percent people would be pregnant. So now something very simple and easy to do, can give you a pregnancy rate that's actually pretty decent. So to clarify, comparing apples to apples, each cycle of IUI compared to IVF is absolutely lower. But the cumulative pregnancy rate of IUIs is close to the pregnancy rate of transferring just one embryo that's untested in IVF. So then the question goes, well, how many times should you do IUIs? If, if three gets you to a 51%, then 10 should be great, right? Because then it's going to be close to 100%. Well, the problem is you get diminishing returns. Just like you saw when I was giving an example, first 20 people got pregnant, then 16, then 13. And one group actually did a study on this. This was in uh, a mandated state where they looked at where people did many, many IUIs because usually when it's mandated, meaning insurance has to cover it. They usually require you to do IUIs before they pay for IVF. And they looked at the numbers and they said, you know, when do people get pregnant? But they getting pregnant on the first one, the third one, the sixth one, the eighth one, the 10th one. And what they found is when you look at all of the people who got pregnant doing IUIs, they found that 90% of the people who got pregnant were pregnant in the first three to four IUIs. And so for that reason, most doctors recommend doing about three IUIs. If it hasn't worked at that point, you need to do something different. Now, different doesn't mean you have to do IVF. It could mean doing more aggressive IUIs. It could be doing more testing. But in the end, it means whatever you're doing there is not working and you shouldn't keep doing it because it likely won't work with whatever you're doing at that moment. We see this same relationship in just getting pregnant naturally. When someone tries to get pregnant naturally, 50% of people are usually pregnant within three months. but then. The next six months, only another 25% people get pregnant. So does this mean if you start IUIs, you have to do three before you can move on the IVF? The answer obviously is no. It depends how the IUI cycles are going. If they're going well, you're making eggs, the sperm has been good, then yes, you probably should give it three IUIs because honestly, IVF sucks. No one likes doing it. Sure, many of us have success, but lots of us don't. And it's extremely stressful. And I'm not saying IUIs aren't, but they're less stressful. And so if it's something you can get pregnant with, it really is worth trying. But if you've done three of them and it hasn't worked, at that point, you have to start thinking about other things. And IVF then should be a conversation. Now, if on the artificial inseminations, also called IUIs, the sperm levels are really bad and we don't even think the IUIs will work, well, then it doesn't make sense to keep doing them. At that point, you just move on to something like IVF or see a urologist. In the end, the most important thing I wanted to talk about was IUIs are a good thing. I know they don't seem perfect and they're frustrating as can be because when they don't work, it's like, why did they not work? Which, by the way, we'll go into next week. But doing IUIs is definitely a worthwhile try. And just because the individual tries may not be very high in chances, overall, the benefit is there. One of my favorite things I hear doctors say is they'll say, IVF is the best chance. Well, yeah, that's that's always true. IVF is almost always the best chance compared to anything else. But that doesn't mean IUIs aren't a good option. And there's just something about if IUIs fail and you go on IVF, you kind of feel like, okay, this is the next logical step. But sometimes just jumping straight to IVF can be quite disappointing. Hopefully this episode was helpful to many of you who either are going to do IUIs or are wondering should you do IUIs or what you've read. And next week I'm going to talk about why IUIs don't work? What could be going on there, and should you just jump straight to IVF, or when should you jump ship? I always appreciate everyone who uh, listens to the podcast, and uh, if you like us, please you know review us, give us five stars. Um, otherwise, I'll see you next week on another episode of Talk About Fertility Tuesday.